is Happiness Solved with Sandy Scarlatta. Stay tuned for my interview with Michael Alden. Welcome to Happiness Solved. I am really looking forward to today's interview with Michael Alden. He has been a best-selling author multiple times. He has been on dozens of networks promoting products with his infomercials. And you can learn more about his books and the products that he promotes on michaelalden.net. Hey, Michael, how are you today? Fabulous. It's early, though. I'll get better. <laughs> it's early. <laughs> you know, I say that all the time. I learned that from uh, Zig Ziglar. He taught me that. And uh, I had the opportunity to do some things with him. I did an infomercial for him back in the day. I went to the, I went to the 59th anniversary of his 21st birthday. And that's, uh, he, he taught me that. So it freaks people out, you know, especially people that you don't know. You're, you're at the drive-thru and they say, how you doing? I said, I'm fabulous, but I'll get better. What, well, what's better than fabulous? I don't know, but I'm just trying to get there. <laughs> now, I saw on your website that you've done a lot of infomercials. Yes. Like, what kind of infomercials have you done? That's pretty cool. Uh, so I've been on TV uh, for the past 10 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all over the world as the host. We have a bunch. It's an interview-style format where I call it like the Larry King type set or a Charlie Rose type set uh, where it's just me uh, and a guest. Um, so we've had a couple that have been on for, for a long time. One is a product called uh, R3D, which is a joint health supplement. Another one called Androzine, which is it's a male sexual health product. It's, you know, it's put in the category of, quote, male enhancement, but uh, it's more done in a clinical sense and in it's rare to see that type of product on TV for that long. And then we've done a bunch for books and pet products, and we had one for cryptocurrency. So we do a lot of different ones, but the longest running ones we've had was the joint health one, uh, and then the uh, male sexual health one called Androzine. Neat. That's so cool. So I, pro I may have seen some of your infomercials. I, I, I usually end up falling asleep on our couch watching TV and I wake up in the middle of the night and, it'll, and I'll just sit there and I'll be like mesmerized. And I'm one of those people who immediately grabs her phone and I order everything and then it shows up and I'm like, when, when did I order this? What happened? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. And, and you think of an infomercial, I mean, the world is changing certainly, but you think of an infomercial yeah, as, as those late night things. But, you know, that's, you know, they're, they're different now. But, you know, a few years ago, it was, you know, it wasn't just that night. It was... Um, uh, it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. At night, it's just gets it's cheaper at night for to buy the time, basically. So if you wanted to buy like a, a one o'clock spot, like you know, if you're here in Boston, you know, on like uh, the local you know NBC affiliate at one o'clock, like before or after a football game, that's expensive. But you could buy that same on that same station at 3 a.m. for you know like you know one tenth of the price. So the, the, that's why a lot of times people would see infomercials late at night. And also, if you go back to the history of infomercials, late at night there was no time slots, right? So infomercials just started airing there because that was the only time that was available. Right. So you're in Boston. Can you tell? Yeah, I'm reading your hat, Wicked Happy. Yeah. I don't hear the, I don't hear the Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, I know it comes out. It comes out once in a while. Uh, yeah, and, and is it one of those things? After a couple of beers, it, it comes out more and more. Yeah, I used to. <laughs> yeah, I used to say like I used to be fluent in Spanish too, and they used to come uh, when I uh, when I drank is uh, when it would come out. But I, I you know what we talk about happiness, right? So I like I still I, I haven't drank in a year. Oh, good for you. I'm not like I was never like a heavy drinker or anything like that. I just that I'm to be 46 this year, and I just found that it actually had a real negative impact on my overall happiness and recovery, and, and 
I just couldn't recover anymore. Uh, like, you know, when I say recover, like you drink and, you know, it takes two, three days to feel normal again. So yeah. said, you know what, my happiness is actually too important. I call it hangxiety, right? So the next day you have that, you know, the, you're hungover and, and God forbid if it's during the week or see my businesses are 24 seven, like literally seven days a week. So if you had to deal with something that next day and you're already hungover and you already feel, you know, we know alcohol is a depressant. So you're just not feeling good in general. And then you have to deal with like, you know, putting out fires as an entrepreneur, which is constant. It just, it just wasn't productive. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a year and I don't know that I'll ever drink again. I don't know. I just have no weird. I'm like, no, it's not really weird. I just, I just, again, I was never like a big drinker, but when I did drink half Irish, I would, it's all or nothing for me. Yeah. Hey, you know, whatever works. That's that's <laughs> the only important thing. Yes. Happiness. This is about happiness. And I was reading some of your bio and you sounded like you have a really interesting life, but I want to hear it from you. So tell the listeners about your, your upbringing and uh, some of your experiences and how you've gotten to this place. Yeah. You know, I always start with, you know, this kind of, kind of monologue, if you want to call it that, where you know, my first book, Ask More, Get More, I, I the first line I say is, I say, thank God I was born poor. And it kind of uh, really kind of draws people in with that first line. But yeah, I grew up tough, man, like really tough. You know, my mom's HIV positive. My stepfather died of AIDS. My mom always says, Mike, I don't I don't ha- have a problem with you telling people that. But just, let me just clarify for my mom, like she wasn't a drug addict. My stepfather was and, and infected her. And my father was addicted to cope. My, my stepmother recently died of an overdose. Another brother of mine did time for distribution. Another one died of an overdose, I grew up with in jail for life of murder. And I was just, I was just surrounded by just crime, drugs, violence, negative things, um, you know, difficult, you know, financially. I was a kid that stood in the separate line in elementary school, middle school, and high school because my lunch was subsidized by the state. Uh, Salvation Army, you know, subsidized our dinners. Uh, I was just telling someone, I just, I was just telling someone the story. And I completely like, kind of blocked this part out too. You know, look, there are a lot, a lot worse situations than mine. And when I think about like, Places like Compton or Watts or or, or uh, South Central, South Central LA or like South Side of Chicago, where kids are being shot at. And and I forgot when I was fourteen years old, we were just talking about this. I was actually shot at point blank range, uh, like within like six feet from each other. And and I just I thought about it and I was like, holy shit! Like that's I don't know, crazy. Thirty years, thirty five, thirty see, like says fourteen, so thirty two years ago, and. It just, it literally just yesterday, just clicked with me because I don't talk about it that much because I just kind of forgot about it. And uh, yeah, so that was my upbringing and it was tough. And and when you, when we talk about happiness, it's, it's really hard to find that. But as a kid, right, when you look at kids, no matter where they grow up, there's a point where it changes. But for the most part, unless there's a real chemical imbalance, kids are just happy, you yep. know, uh, like we're just happy with playing in the dirt and happy just you know, with, with, with an ice cream and, and all these little things. And then something just shifts with our life. So, so growing up was difficult, but I wouldn't have wanted it any other way because it also you know, made me the person I am. But when I say all that stuff, just to be clear, like I actually had a pretty happy childhood. It was just, it was just tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I always say, you know, kids generally, especially when they're born and, and toddlers and, you know, you get to five and six and then the world gets to you. Yeah. And, and and things start to shift. You know, everybody's born as an innocent baby, like you said, unless you've got some sort of chemical imbalance, because that would be a caveat there. But but it's, yeah. So was that the motivating factor to, to, to write all your books and create your your company? And Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, what happened was, is all that stuff I told you about 
you know, and I have other, uh, you know, friends that are still around. And, you know, again, you heard like my brother and my father and my, my stepmother and, and all this stuff. And, and I started writing things down and so people would always say to me, Mike, what makes you so different? Like, why are you different? Same household, you know, same parents, essentially, you know, my parents were divorced. So I had a stepmother, but my dad was always around. He was you know, always there. Like, why, you know, you like, you know, and that was actually the working title for my first book, like what makes you so different? And then it ended up becoming ask more, get more. And what I kind of realized was, is there were, you know, there were definitely some people in my life, coaches and teachers. My parents were always there. Like when I say my father was addicted to Coke, you know, he, he was, and, but he wasn't like a, like a hardcore drug addict. He was addicted, went to rehab, came out and never, and then never looked back. But he's also, you know, he smokes pot into the days in the seventies and, you know, he's been smoking pot his whole life. And, and so like, I, I was going down the wrong path too. You know, it was by the grace of God, go I, they say. And I remember at a very young age, my parents, you know, talking to me about, you know, kind of the path that I was going. And when you think about when, you know, talking to children, a lot of times they're like, Hey, you know, you got to talk to this kid. I used to, my parents would say to me, Hey, you got to talk to your brothers. And I would, and I would say, Hey, look, you know, you should do this, this, and this. But at some point in someone's life, they have to make the decision. So that time when I mentioned I was shot at, I was like 14. When I was 15 is when I started to really look at my life and say, man, I see these other kids that I go to, that I went to high school with and they're starting to like talk about this thing called college. Like I, I didn't even, I, I didn't even consider college. It wasn't even like an option for me. And, and same here. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and then I was like, well, what else am I going to do? I'm a big dude. And I was like, well, I could just, you know, manual labor, I could dig ditches, or I could do whatever. And I just that didn't interest me. And so then I started to really say to myself, like, okay, what am I going to do with my at 15. But that's really a critical moment, I think, in a lot of kids lives where you have to make that decision yourself. So I just decided, you know, I got to do something here. Like, I got to turn my grades around. You know, I was a great athlete. I played football, baseball, basketball. I wasn't good at basketball. And I had coaches and teachers basically say, look, if you want to continue to play these sports, you have to improve your grades. You have to do well. And, and, you know, the coaches and teachers were the ones that really kind of drove me. You know, my parents did too, but it was the consequences that, that the teachers and coaches gave me. Like, if you don't show up to class, I'm going to fail you. And then if you fail, you're going to be off the team. So I was lucky to be able to recognize the consequences of my decisions because the type of kids that grew up in my neighborhood, they just say, fuck it. Like, all right, cool. I'm not going to class, whatever. Go ahead and do whatever it is you need to do. And I saw that happen all the time. And then that's a, that's just a kind of a, just the wrong way to think. And for whatever reason, I decided that I was going to, you know, do the right thing. I, by the way, I didn't always do the right thing. I still had a long way to go. I mean, I got arrested in college, you know? Um, so I just, um, I started to make that shift in my life right around that age, around 15. And, you know, it's always, it's always kind of a, a bit of a work in progress. You know, this whole topic of happiness now as we sit here today in, you know, in 2021 and mental health, right? Like it's, it seems to be like the in thing. You know, I wrote about it in my first book, Ask More, Get More, seven years ago, talking about, you know, meditation and happiness and really how important that is. And it's always been something, again, I'm wearing, I own a clothing line called Wicked Happy. Because happiness, if you, you know, it's two things. If you don't have your health and, and happiness, like what else do you have? And so as I get older, I realize that that's really, those are really the, the most important things, you know, health, happiness, you know, you can list a couple other things in there. But um, for me, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm, what, what I'm working towards. And, and I know, you know, I'm you know, kind of going on and on here, but happiness that people don't understand, like we're not designed to be happy. Like, what do you mean? Like, 
Like, like our reptilian brain is not designed to be happy. We're designed to actually be nervous. We're designed to be able to like, you know, literally like look over our shoulder because it's, it's, a, it's a survival instinct. Happiness is not technically something that, that, that it just, it's just naturally there. I mean, look, you have hormones that, are, that impact your brain that help with happiness, but you need to work towards happiness. And once I realized that, like, oh, I'm not just, not just going to be happy. Like, you know, when you wake up in a bad mood, there's a reason why that happens. Uh, and when you wake up in a good mood, there's also a reason why that happens. But nine times out of 10, when you're waking up in those moods, it's because of the way you think and the way you thought before you went to bed. Exactly. I'm so glad to hear you say that because a lot of people don't realize that. And and there's so often we cause our own unhappiness. You know, my journey began 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, when I was addicted to cocaine. Oh. Back in the late 80s. Yep. And and then it was the early 90s. And I actually didn't drink alcohol for 20 years. And and now I um after many years of therapy and everything. It, it was mainly because I didn't really have an issue with the alcohol. It was the cocaine. Mm-hmm. And they're totally on different spectrums. So I do have a glass of wine here and there now. But I, you know, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous for many, many years. And it's in my head, you know. So it's like, <laughs> I, I know. I, I know. But that's But that was the catalyst for me to realize that happiness is a choice, number one. But it's something that you have to work on every single day. And all the little tools that I use, none of them are mastered, right? It's a practice. You have to practice. Yeah, it's a practice. It's something yeah. you work towards. You know, I, um, you know, I said this before on podcasts and on the programs, or you know, and it's kind of a, it's kind of an absurd thing to say. I'm to say it though, but again, just the way I grew up. So I, I live in a in a private neighborhood, a six thousand square foot house uh, in the town that I grew up in, and it's like a big giant exclamation point of like, Hey, I made it, but not really. You know, I still have a massive mortgage and in my bedroom above the fireplace in my bedroom, again, this sounds so pretentious, but there's a point to it. There is a painting by an artist. His name is Romero Brito. His art makes me happy. Right. But the art itself, actually, uh, it's an original, uh, painting of his, of the word happy. And, and, When I wake up in the morning, it's one of the first things that I see. And, you know, sometimes I don't look at it and, and, and you know, I, I honestly haven't really kind of gauged it like, oh, how's my day going you know, versus me looking at it. But I, I made a point of putting it in my bedroom. I could have put it anywhere else, but it's, again, it's like kind of the first thing that I see. I also have a little statue of it, or it's not a statue, I guess, I don't even know what you would even call it, uh, some sort of ceramic thing, it's basically a version of it. It says the word happy. And then when you walk out of my bedroom to the left-hand side, there is, uh, and I made it myself, uh, essentially a poster. You can do this on some of these uh, websites. Um, it just says the words, choose happiness. And, you know, these are the things like you're talking about, you know, these, the, the whole mindset, like shift that people, um, the, the people start to work towards it. And when they start to embrace things like affirmations or working towards, like you said, happiness and, and understanding that you, that you need, it, it is a work of progress. You're never going to master it. You're never always going to be happy. But you can work towards it. And it does work. And it is work. And, you know, look, there are days when, you know, especially in the winter, like here in New England, you know, where people get seasonal affective disorder, and there's certain things that you know, you can do to that. But I also think it's important to be aware, like to have self awareness, like, man, I'm, if there's been multiple days in a row, and I'm not feeling mentally good, and you maybe have to see to yourself, why is that? Is, is it what I ate? Is it, you know, what I'm doing? Is it who I'm with? Is it what, you know, is it uh, literally my environment? Is it what I'm breathing? Is it what I'm drinking? And a lot of times it's, you know, you can find the answers by just asking yourself those questions. Absolutely. And, you know, here's the thing. I, 
Now, I tell this in, in my book and, and on my program, you know, I am so flawed. It's not even funny. I mean, I still lose my temper. I get irritated. But the difference is when you've been working on it for so many years and you know, you know, you can get back to that place of peace and happiness a lot quicker. And, and that's, that's why it's a work in progress. And, and you can't beat yourself up over it because we are human and we're perfectly imperfect. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's like, you know, there's the classic thing like within the diet industry, right? It's why the diet industry is so massive is because what happens is, and again, you, you talked about, you know, NA, excuse me, AA, but NA and AA are similar just you talk about narcotics versus, you know, alcohol. You're going to fall off the wagon. <laughs> you know, it's a part of the process. And but what happens is, especially in the diet industry, when people fall off the wagon, they just give up. It happens a lot with addiction too, right? They yes. just up and they go back to it. And but you have to understand that that's a, that's a part of the process. So you're going to do things that are going to have a, a detrimental effect on on your own happiness. It's just it's just like you said. It's just we're imperfect beings, and so you'll again you'll drink like maybe you, know, you shouldn't have, or you'll you'll consume sugar, which is a huge thing that people don't realize. You get that instant kind of dopamine rush, and then you then you crash. That's the crash, and that's a mental part of the crash. But it doesn't mean you should give up. Right. So like, especially with the diets, like I, I, <laughs> I tell people that I'm keto, like I was keto, like consistently for like two years and I was in great shape and I felt great. I always, you know, I'm kind of keto now, you know, I, I, I always, I constantly screw up. I'm trying to work towards it and trying to maybe just get into a better routine and a better habit. But right now, in my, as I sit here today in my life, um, that's one, one big thing for me. Like, I'm just, I'm not where I need to be. I just know that keto works for me tried a vegetarian diet once that, you know, that didn't work for me. I just tried eating, you know, less and that didn't necessarily work for me, but I just found that keto works for me. And, you know, I had, um, Dave Asprey on, on of the Bulletproof diet and, and on, on my podcast. And, you know, he said, look, Mike, you know, don't, don't pick one particular thing and let it define you. Like, you know, j- j- the Bulletproof diet isn't necessarily a, a keto diet, but it's a high fat diet with, you know, with certain fats that are good for you. Um, but you look, if you want to have a piece of fruit, which is kind of says fruit is dessert, then, then fine, go for it. Just know that what you're doing is going to, you know, have an impact on your body one way or the other. So my point of all this stuff is, is like when you're working towards happiness or you're working towards whatever, if you fail or if you have to make a mistake, it doesn't mean you should give up. You just, get right back on it, right? Exactly. So what are some of the things that you do when you you find, you know, wake up, you're having a good day, and all of a sudden something happens? What do you do to press that reset button? It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. You know, I listen to people all the time, and they give advice. And I just wonder, like, how, how real it is. You know, like, I, I'm honest, like, you know what, like, if you, I get the shit kicked out of me every day in business. And, and, like you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, what's going on here? Are you doing something wrong? No, it's just that's just the life of an entrepreneur. It's a sexy thing to talk about now. You know, when my grandfather was an entrepreneur, it was looked at as he was a dreamer, or he was just sometimes even like a loser because the business wouldn't wouldn't work. But you know, to answer your question, is like it, it's hard. I mean. If you ha- if you put together a series of habits or, or or daily things that you do consistently, that's one of the best things that you can do. So, like what I like to do uh, first thing in the morning is uh, again I look at that look at the word happy. I remind myself of that. 
And it and it's again, it's hard to do. We like, well, I'm, I'm just waking up. I'm tired. Do I really want to remind myself of three things that I'm grateful for? That's another thing that I do. Um, and sometimes <laughs> but that's, that's a huge way to make a shift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's really basic stuff, you know. So that's one big thing that I do. I remind myself of three things that I'm grateful for every day. I spend about three minutes. I'm also a practitioner of transcendental meditation. TM changed my life, absolutely changed my life, and um, I've been screaming from the rooftops about it for years. I learned about TM from Howard Stern and what it did first for his mother, who was suffering severe depression and and she was suicidal. And then you know he talked about what it did for him. And then I researched TM, and you look at all the other celebrities and and huge influential people all over the world who practice TM. And the science behind TM is what really got me. You see, I sell you know nutritional products and health and wellness products in addition to to my books, and. So science is, is key for us, right? I'm a lawyer by trade, so we got to make sure that what we're saying, we, you know, we can in fact substantiate. And when you, so I understand how to read the medical science. And when you saw, when I saw the science behind TM in particular, and then also just as well as just you know traditional kind of um, mindfulness meditation. TM is just far and away has been studied a lot more and has a lot more you know proven results. So I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going for. So I suffered a massive panic attack on a Friday like eight years ago. And uh, I had moved out. I was separated, and and we, you know, were getting divorced. And my daughter was with me. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and she happened to wake up as well. So she saw like that something was going on, but she couldn't quite tell. I knew what was happening to me, but I, I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. Like it was that bad. I didn't go to the hospital. That was a Friday, and then that following Monday, I just went to the local TM center here in my hometown and, and learned it, and, and it never looked back. Not to say that I haven't had close to incidences like that. And by the way, I just woke up in the middle of the night, and it just happened. It wasn't like all of a sudden I had like something ha- like someone broken on my it house. It wasn't like a trigger. Yeah, there was no trigger. I just woke up, and that's what I woke up to. And it's scary, but a lot of times too, like especially with even like with addiction, and you hear there's usually one thing that happens to somebody where they go, "That's it, all right, this enough is enough." Uh, and it happens a lot with addiction, and a lot of times people don't even know why it even happens. With like in the Power of Habit, I don't know if you've read that book where they talk a lot about addiction in that book, and and how people they just they just you know you hear about people hitting rock bottom or whatever. And for me, I, that's probably what it was. It was probably having some sort of crisis that I just was maybe which which which, which there was a crisis. I was moved out. I was and you're going through a divorce. I mean, divorce is one of the most stressful things that you can go yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So TM has really been the big thing. Every day reminding yourself of three things you're grateful for. And again, just really kind of being self-aware. That's really it for me. Like, again, like what's going on? Like, why is this happening? You know, is there a way to change the way you're doing things? You know, a lot of people, you know, the definition of insanity, right? You know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. We do it all the time. I do it. We we all do it. Oh yeah, we all do it. We all do it. So back to the TM, for those of people who aren't familiar with that. Can you talk a little bit more about that type of meditation? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means a, uh, an expert, but transcendental meditation is, uh, is something that you know, came from the Maharishi, who uh, you know, how it became popular here in the United States was really, really the Beatles. They brought it over. They went over there. They learned it from him. You know, it's been around for, I don't know, thousands of years, I think, really. But it was really what made it popular was in the 60s here in the States. Uh, it was kind of seems like this hippie thing. And when I first learned about it, there's a great book called Transcendence. It's the name of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosenthal, I think, is the, is the author. I would recommend it to anybody to just read and just learn about, you know, kind of like what TM does. But really, the kind of the basics of TM 
is that, you know, you, you take a, it's a week long course. And then once you learn it, that's it, you know, you're good to go. You can, you can go to any TM center in the world if you want to like do like a, what they call a reset and, and uh, just maybe learn a little bit more about it. But really what happens is, is you're giving them, given a mantra and the mantra is it's a, it's a nonverbal kind of sound really that, that you can't spell or anything like that. And basically what you're doing is, is when you close your eyes and start your, your, your practice, which is supposed to be 20 minutes twice a day, which by the way, I don't do 20 minutes twice a day. I should, but I just don't. And again, I'm just being honest with you. And you're just repeating that mantra over and over again in your head. And uh, there's different ways to do it. But, you know, what I learned, what you learn in TM is like you're going to have these thoughts that are going to come into your head. You're going to be restless. You're going to want to open your eyes. You're going to want to get up. You're going to going to be itchy. You're going to notice things. You're going to have all these things that you're going to want to act on. And it's just it's just a part of the, of the brain kind of just settling down. But as you continue to do it over and over again, like we talked about earlier, like the habits, once it becomes a habit, it just becomes easier. And then it becomes better. And, and I, I, when I was first take, when I was first learning about TM, the, the teacher would ask you, you know, how you felt, like you know, something you, you know, it's like feedback, and and the only way to describe it for me was like blissful nothingness, is what I would say. Like you just you talk about happiness, like again, I was going through some serious stuff when I first when I first learned it, and I, I started to feel happy again. You know, it took time, especially when you ha- when you have like a a real hardcore panic attack like I had like it lingers for weeks like it doesn't you know what I mean like that that instant crisis of like oh my god I think I'm gonna die that goes away but it lingers for weeks and so you know TM just kind of helped get me through it and by the way the other thing too is is that I went to my doctor you know I'm a big dude I'm a type a personality a football player in college and I own big businesses and you know like I've done a lot of things I've you know three-time Wall Street like you know like I, I just I feel like you know, again, I'm just this kind of like go, go, go type guy, but I knew that something was wrong. And when I went to my doctor, you know, he said, Mike, you know, a lot of people in your position, they just don't deal with it. And how do they deal with it? Exactly kind of, they deal with it by drugs and alcohol and you self-medicate and it just spirals out of control, you know? And he said, look, you know, we can go about this with some pharmaceuticals, you know, I'm really kind of anti that stuff, you know, but I was in so much pain, like physical and mental pain uh, and he, you know, he said, look, here's a couple different drugs that you can take, like, like antidepressant type drugs and anxiety meds um, that you don't have to be on forever. It's something to kind of get you through that, that crisis. And again, I'm really anti drug. Just, I just, I just always have been because I just, you know, you hear about the, the side effects and everything later on in life. Exactly. But to get you through those kind of moments um, there's nothing wrong with it. And, and you know, yep. again, now when we're talking about mental health here, you know, in 2021 and everybody and you see commercials for it on TV and you see apps like Calm and everyone's like, it's like, oh, OK, we can talk about it now. I was talking about this stuff and not to say that I'm like some sort of like, you know, soothsayer or something. I was talking about this seven years ago before it was the cool thing to talk about. Yeah. Well, now it's it's an emergency. Like it, we have to talk about it's this. A, yeah, it's an emergency now for us, but it's also an emergency for you. So, like, if you're if mm-hmm. you feel, if like I, I just urge people, like, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, there's nothing wrong with going to your doctor and asking for help. You know, some some doctors are, you know, they're gonna just they just over prescribe, and you know, maybe you want to consider that and understand that. But if you need that kind of like that help, now a lot of these you know, kind of depression type drugs, they take time actually to get into your system. And so it's not going to be an immediate thing uh, as well. But I, I also looked at like, what am I eating? Am I drinking too much coffee? 
Another thing, I, I was playing the game Call of Duty. I had um, surgery on my knee, so that during that time, so I was also I was kind of cooped up in my house. I was going through a divorce. I was playing Call of Duty like all day. Long. Oh my gosh! Running a business, <laughs> and and it's just like it just all hit me. And 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 and, and, and so so again, I, I just urge people to to seek you know the medical advice and just talk to somebody, and and then you know we can talk about therapy too because I think that's important as well. You yeah. therapy, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I've dealt with um, with my son with with major anxiety issues and it, it's a horrible thing to hear your teenage boy he's now 20 years old but to hear him every single morning throwing up mm-hmm. and nothing would work you know so he's you know he does a combination of cbd and and some other things that that help that i'm not gonna sure. say <laughs> that help him to, to stay stay calm and i've had discussions with with his father who you know we've been divorced for uh, quite a while and I'm like, you you haven't been here. His, my my ex husband's in prison. Oh, jeez. By the way, yeah, he was out drinking one night, hit a motorcycle, and killed two people. Oh, jeez. And that was back in 2013. So so I'm like, you haven't been here. Like you haven't been around your son to hear him and and go through this every single day. But yeah. I mean, and, and he's not. My son's just not ready for therapy. And and I know for myself because I didn't go to therapy for years. You have to be ready and willing. It's just like giving up alcohol, giving up drugs, you know, going to therapy, whatever. If you're not ready, you're not going to do it. Right. I mean, it's like what we talked about earlier, you know, with the, with the you know, the 15 year old self, like, you know, you, you just have, you, like you said, you just have to want it and have to do it, you know, and maybe the anxiety isn't as bad as, as you think right now. When, when it gets really bad, when you're crippled and you can't even move and, and like you feel like you're, ha- you're, you're going to die and you feel like you're having a heart attack. Uh, then, you know, maybe it's there. like, look, when I was in law school, like you had like these many panic attacks all the time because you just don't want to get called. Of course you did. <laughs> you know, um, and those are, those are, those are just part of the process. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, when you have like the physical, like when it manifests itself physically, like, you know, a lot of times people don't break out in hives or, or what have you, like when that's, when it starts to actually manifest itself physically like that, like, like what's happening with your son or like with throwing up, that's one of them. But, you know, sometimes you just, it's like, um, like with drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, people sometimes feel like just have to hit rock bottom before they realize, all right, it's enough is enough. And you yeah. can do something about it. That's the thing, too. It's like, you know, when, when you're, I don't know that I've ever really necessarily been depressed, um, but I've probably had bouts of like temporary depression or like, you know, seasonal affective disorder. And especially with the anxiety, like the anxiety, you just feel like it's never going to end. And that's the scariest part about it, right? And so when you talk about CBD, like I own a CBD line and I never put anything cannabis related in my body ever. I never smoked a cigarette, never done any drugs. In 2016, I launched a CBD product way before anyone was really talking about it. And I tried it for the first time and I was like, wow, okay, cool. Like I, like I slept great. I didn't have any pain in my, uh, I tore my hamstring. I didn't have any pain in the morning like I usually did. And, uh, and then just a couple of years ago, let's see, I'll be 44. And then uh, THC became legal here. I, I am like, not only am I anti um, prescription drugs, but I'm like anti drug altogether. Like, you know, just because again, you heard my history heroin mm-hmm. my stepfather and cocaine yep. my father and my brother when I my brothers was a fucking drug dealer like so never, but at 44 and i was trying cbd and i actually got my ex-wife actually suffers with rheumatoid arthritis and uh, lupus and osteoarthritis so she's in really bad shape and i was oh my gosh look, you know i'm like 
you know, have, have you considered cannabis, you know? And, 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 you know, so she was kind of like, I don't know. And, blah, blah, blah. and I said, look, tell you what, I'll go to the local dispensary. I've never been to a dispensary before. And I'm like, I'll go and I'll just get it for you and just, you know, see, you know, see what happens, you know? And, and what happened was, is I ended up trying it myself. I, I was like, fuck it, I'm 44. Like what, what's the worst that's going to happen? And my father, who's been smoking pot his whole life, and my brothers have been smoking pot since they were like kids. You know, as you get it, when you're young, and your mind is like still developing, and the science proves this. When you when you're smoking pot, you're putting THC in your body. There is 100% proven science that it has a detrimental effect on your your neurology and also on your brain matter itself. Right. Right. Um, right. And and it, and and by the way, it's permanent. That's the thing that people don't understand. Right. And so as you as you're growing, right. And when you get older and you're fully developed you can also have a detrimental uh, impact in your brain. It's called neuroplasticity, right? And so, but at the same time, you're not going to have such a negative impact on your brain matter and the actual connectivity and the neurons in your brain uh, when you're older as, as if you were when you're 14 years old. So when you hear about these kids, these kids are doing drugs at a very young age and you know they always say, once a drug addict, always a drug addict. Like that's true. Like if you look at a brain scan for people, like that's true. Here's the cool part though is that even at the young age, but when you're older and it happens, you can actually reverse it. And that, the people are like, well, it doesn't make sense. TM is one of the ways to do it. Meditation is one of the ways to do it. it it's, it's proven science. If you look at the brain of a drug addict and you look at the brain of somebody who's, re- who's recovered, right? The drug addict, if you look at the brain matter, it literally looks like a, like a, like a, like a mountain range, like the Rockies. It's like, it's like, it's really, it peaks, it's, it, it's dips. It looks like there's pieces of the brain actually taken away. And then you look at a healthy brain and it's smooth and it's rounded. And the coolest part about neuroplasticity is that you can actually change it if you work towards it, by the way, at any age, you know, so the problem though is, is that when you start, when you're developing is you can have, you can have that long-term permanent where, where you just can't reverse it. When you're older, right after you've already, your brain has already developed, again, you can change it both ways. It can be negative and it can be positive. The coolest thing is, is that you can change it. So when we think about also like our memory and, uh, and we think about things like Alzheimer's disease and things like this and dementia and also just, you know, being just forgetting things, it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. And things like TM actually can really help change your brain matter, change the way that your neurons fire. And then when, when, I, when you come out of a meditation session, it's crazy. Like what happens, like your brain is just like, it's just like working, but not like working in a restless way. It's like, Oh my God, like I can do all these things. And that's like, kind of like just the, just the power, powerful part of, of meditation. We barely know anything about our brains, but we, we know now just through CAT scans that we can, you can look at the science, you can look at the brain before meditation, during meditation and after meditation. Again, I just implore tm.org. You can just see the science there. Uh, It's wild, you know, what you can do. So I took a meditation course back in 2007. Yeah, it was 2007. And um, a friend of mine introduced me to it. And it's with Stephen Sadlier of the Self- Self-Awareness Institute. He's out in Laguna Beach. And he's trains, he has trained like tens of thousands of people. The form of the meditation is escaping me right now. But what I remember, and I don't do it that often anymore, but I went to some of his meditation retreats and we would sit for four hours at a time. And what his does is the t- part of your brain, the thalamus, mm-hmm. that type of, and I don't, I don't know if TM is the same way, but when you, when you get into the meditation and you're 
thriving in it, let's say, there's a part of your brain, it's right at the crown, and it starts numbing. There's like a numbing sensation that is like the greatest high I have ever experienced in my life. And I know with the thalamus, that's the part of the brain that we don't know a lot about and, and the part of the brain you can um, improve. So is that is that what the science is about well, yeah, I mean, with it's, TM? It's your, it's your entire brain. Your entire brain can, in fact, change. And again, it, right. the science behind it is called neuroplasticity. Uh, and it just shows that when you do things like TM or other forms of meditation, you can literally rewire your, your brain. Like it, it actually can happen. The neurons that weren't firing before now can fire. Right. And you know, it, it, um, it does, it just, it just doesn't seem real for people, especially people who are down and out or people who have just experienced loss and they're just, they're just, they are like clinically depressed or they feel like, you know, um, they're giving up, you know, to find something like meditation. Yoga is, you know, is another great one too. Like yoga and, and the practicing of, of yoga, which I did for a long time too, that in, in itself is also kind of like a form. Look, prayer is a form of meditation. People are like, when, when you go to church and when you're singing in church and everyone's singing in unison or when you're praying, it's it's very similar to the same type of brain activity that happens with uh, w- with meditation. So as far as I'm concerned, when you're praying, you're meditating. So whatever works for you, you know. So I church exactly. But people, I mean, people like church because they have the fear of God. I mean, that's really big. I mean, we talk a lot about religion if we want, but that's really it. But but the other part though is is that when you're praying, you're meditating. Plain and simple. <laughs> <laughs> I remember years ago when I. I mean, I had done the meditation course and I was I was doing a lot of workshops and whatnot. And I got certified as a life coach in the like 2004. But I sent out just a, a newsletter and one of and people subscribed to my newsletter. And one of my neighbors who was born again Christian, she sent me the most scathing email about meditation and how it's just unchristian like and da 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 da. And I thought, well, don't you know that that's what Jesus did in the Bible, right? <laughs> he sat in meditation for how many days and nights? Right. I forget, you know. But anyway, you're right. It, it is. Well, you it know, is. I have an interesting point, too. It's kind of off topic in a way, but too, it's like when you think about like this country right now and the divisiveness of this country, you know, with Trump and not Trump and Biden and all this other stuff, mask, no mask, vax, no vax, like all this other stuff. There's just no reason why someone has to be violently against something and just all this and violently against a particular person because one person believes in one thing or another. Like, so if, if you're a Trump supporter, like I have good friends. I, I did not vote for Trump. I'm not a Trump supporter. I am not necessarily even anti-Trump. I think most of the shit he's done is fucking insane. I, you know, like, like, like we, I, we can go there with that. But my friends that are Trump guys, like just totally like just the, the types that are posting on Facebook and annoying all their friends or whatever. Uh, I Listen, I, I worked in D.C. I worked for Richard Neal. He's a Democrat in the House. And so I, I grew up on on things that were just uh, that were really driven by Democrats the way I grew up. Right. You know, so uh, I've been kind of my, my dad said to me one day, oh, you being a Democrat or Republican, I'm not being one thing or the other. So if you have a particular view that is, uh, you know, opposite of mine, doesn't mean I have to hate you. Exactly. I mean, like, it doesn't mean I have to just send you an email. Like, that is such a waste of of energy. You know what I mean? Like, look, like, you know, with this whole mask thing and everyone's like, you know, these Facebook uh, doctors and, and, uh, you know, these Facebook experts, which are your friends, and they have no idea what they're talking about because they read an article somewhere and now all of a sudden they're an expert. And those are the people that, you know, would would drive me crazy. But I'm like, whatever, dude. 
Like you want to fucking say that, you know, wearing a mask is going to, you know, you're going to breathe carbon monoxide or whatever the hell you're going to breathe. Dude, I cool, whatever. Like, and if you want to spread misinformation, great. I don't really care. Like I, I don't hate you for it. You know what I mean? I disagree. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I'm not going to hate you for it until it gets to the point where it does get personal. And then if someone like that, you know, like sends an email like that, or they send something scathing, fuck it. Just Block them. Yep. See you later. I mean, my yep. my phone is full of bl- blocked contacts, including from family members, um, because they're just toxic. And, and, and you know. yeah, exactly. And 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 yeah, the toxicity that's it has reached a level in this country that is just unprecedented. And you know, but it, but I really believe it has to come from each individual person. If if each individual person could just learn to love themselves and just take a few simple steps every single day. It, it would change the whole world. Yeah, just work on yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you talk, like TM, again, I'm not like, I'm just, you know, I have no, I have no stake in TM. <laughs> no, no, but it works. Well, yeah. It's, an, it's a meditation is the most amazing thing you can do for yourself. It does work. And that's why, you know, yeah. like I've been screaming about it for a long time. When I, when I find something that I know that can help people, like I was screaming about cryptocurrency. Now everyone's, oh, hey, let's buy Bitcoin. I was screaming about it when it was $3,000 and I learned about it when it was 400 bucks, you know? So, and, <laughs> and I've done some great things in that world. And, and, and you know, I... CBD, you know, I, I, when I learned about CBD, I'm like screaming, look, and I sell also, like, all sorts of supplements like you're talking about. I'm not getting on my Facebook page saying, hey, you should try Androzine or Arthur D, even though I know that they can help people because, you know, if ED wasn't an issue for people, then there wouldn't be tons of drugs out there and other products out there for, but I'm, I'm not screaming about that stuff because it just like, just doesn't, doesn't seem necessary. But like with TM, I'm like, my God, I put my, I put 25 employees through it. I put my parents through it. Uh, CBD, same thing. I'm like, you got to try this stuff or whatever cryptocurrency when i learned about the benefits of crypto not making money with cryptocurrency but really what it meant like the essence of cryptocurrency and and the decentralization aspect of it and and the democratization side of it i was like this is amazing like for those of you who feel like you're left behind you feel like you can't get involved you can buy one dollar like right now you can sell you can buy one dollar worth of bitcoin so i would scream about it and then people would you know attack me oh my god blah 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 you should you know you should, you'd be careful and you're giving you know financial advice and you're a lawyer i'm like no i'm not doing any of that stuff I'm just telling you what I've learned and I'm sharing it with you. If you don't like it, you don't need to attack me, unfollow me, unfriend me, whatever. I'm just trying to share with people the things that I found have worked for me. And not only have they worked for me, I just know that they work for other people. And so the whole point of it, what we're saying is like, there's just no reason. It's just not necessary. Um, it's just negative activity. It's a total time suck. It's, it's toxic to you to even care about somebody so much because they're you know, anti-mask or anti-Trump, or whatever. Even even if like, like let's say you lost somebody to COVID that maybe could have been, a lot of stuff could have been avoided, but let's say you lost somebody to COVID and you got some guy out there on your Facebook feed who's just like saying that it's fake. It's not real, blah, blah, blah. All right, well, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, fucking who cares? Or you can unfollow stuff. them. Yeah. yeah. I just, I unfollow a lot of people. I, I generally don't always block them unless yeah. it gets to the point where it's, but I unfollow people because I can't see that negativity all the time. Right. I, if you don't have anything positive to say, I don't want to read about it. I don't want to hear about it. It just brings you down. Yeah. I mean, it brings up another yeah. good point too. Like, you know, just being able to do that and be able to make that decision, you know, of like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to unfollow people. I'm going to unfriend people. I'm going to block people. And a lot of times and when you talk about one's own happiness, uh, when you really like look at it, the, you know, a lot of times one's own happiness is a, is a direct reflection of, of their own family members. And they're the ones that are bringing you down. And then, and it's really hard 
especially if you're a young person, like, how do you get away from that? Like, what do you like, you know, there, there are things you can do, especially like, you know, now in this, in this world we're living in, you know, you can get on YouTube and, and watch things that motivate you. You know, I, I watch videos a lot that, you know, that motivate me. So there are ways to kind of get to cut these people out of your life. You know, my family members that I had mentioned, you know, you can love them, but you don't have to like them. It's a big difference. Exactly. You know I mean, and so you can cut them out of your life. Like I, I, like one of my brothers is cut out of my life. Like if I never talk to him again, again, I, people may get mad at me for saying this. I'm good. I'm cool with that because he is a toxic individual that I don't want to be a part of. And we've, we've gone around it millions of, but too many times. I'm done. Like that's it. And people, too, too many people are afraid to do that for whatever reason. Cause they feel like that, you know, you know, they say, you know, things like, you know, um, what's the saying? Like, you know, family's everything. Well, kind of, you know, kind of, because, because here's the thing, the definition of family has changed, you know, like you know, when you think about a wolf, this is really interesting, right? So if people know, it's like, you've heard of like people like literally like humans being raised by wolves. I don't know if that's real or not, but wolves actually do will take in other animals and raise them as if they're their own. And they, and, and those animals, like there have been, there's, there's been studies that show that deer, which wolves will eat, have been raised by uh, packs of wolves and they grow, and a deer grows up with the packs of wolves and lives his entire life basically as if he's a wolf and doesn't get eaten by any of the other wolves. And so, so the question becomes is, is that deer a part of the, of the wolf pack? Is that deer a part of the, the wolf's family? Well, biologically, no, but it really is. And so when you think about your family, it doesn't have to be your bloodline. It can be other people. Like I have friends, you know, male, female, whatever. And, and like, I just was talking to somebody, I, hey, I say, hey, man, I love you. And like, I think of them as like my family, like in the, in the kind of the traditional definition of it, you know, like these are the people that they uplift me. Um, they motivate me like when they're feeling down, like I, I, you know, they, they can lean on me and I can lean on them. And a lot of times your family members, you can't like the reason why I'm not married anymore with my, with my ex-wife, she's not a bad person. I'm not a bad person, but we just, we just couldn't communicate with each other. We, and, and, you know, again, it's, it takes two to tango. And what I realized was, is that I wasn't able to talk to her about some of the things that were going on in, in my business life and the, and, and the thing and and she wasn't able to talk to me about some of the things that she she was feeling and ultimately that just that just led to the to the demise of our marriage because we weren't able to to communicate with each other so if you if you want to communicate with people a lot of times again it's your family members and you can't well find other people that you can and consider them your family absolutely i know i mean i'm i'm fortunate that i have a really good siblings and everything are they always there for me no and that's okay you know, I, I rely on my girlfriends more than anything. Yeah. But yeah, so my brother, he had a minor surgery procedure last week and I had to pick him up and I haven't seen him in over a year because of COVID. And, um, but he couldn't drive home because he was had anesthesia. So we were both masked up and everything. And he's now 60 years old. And he's like, yeah, I haven't had a drink in eight months. And I'm like, that's incredible, right? Because I just... He, he now has, he's in a program, he was able to get on disability, he has his own apartment, you know, so, you know, things are good. I used to send him $50 every two weeks just to pay for his cigarettes, because nobody else would help him in the family. But he said the last time he drank, he had one beer and his body just, he was throwing up violently. And his body just rejected it. He just physically can't drink anymore. And I'm like, you know what, that's a godsend. Right. Good. That's great. Oh, yeah. 
because he's 60 years old. He needs to stop drinking. He needs to, he, he would be a binge drinker. So he would drink for like four days nonstop and then he would quit for like, you know, 45, 60 days and then he would do it again. And it was just this binging, you know, which is, you know. Yeah, you know, for me, like, again, I just, like, I, I just would think about, you know, I, I would I would talk to myself and say, man, just remember how you feel right now. And just, and and the next time you want to drink or, or, or for, for me, like, right now, like, I feel like I said earlier, it's like my addiction is actually food or sugar. So, you know, I'll go throughout the entire day, I'll eat healthy or I'll eat keto or whatever. And then late at night, it's a, that's my thing. And like, and sugar again, research shows like this is a crazy statement as well. But science shows it. It's just not me sp- saying this. Uh, that sugar is as addictive as heroin. It's crazy. it's lethal to our bodies it's as well. To our bodies, and and for me, like that's my thing right now. You know, so it's like, but you know, at the same time, as humans, and I get the way our brains work, like tackling a bunch of different things at once just doesn't work. So like work on like right now, my business is shifting. We're doing, we're pivoting. We're doing all these things. It's like, all right, you know what, man, I'm not drinking, you know, I'm dealing with some business stuff. I'm working on some, some pivots that we're doing. It's very stressful, blah, blah, blah. Go easy on yourself. Yeah. You're just like, (laughs) all right, I'm going to have some girls go cookies because they're there, you know, and then, you know, eventually they'll be gone. And And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And then you just work. if, If when it becomes a, a chronic thing that's you know that becomes a problem but you know people don't say like food is an addiction as well oh huge but you know like they say progress not perfection that's it yeah you're never going to be perfect but i mean chasing perfection is not a bad thing chase it you just knowing that you're never going to get there but you come anywhere close you're good you know a friend of mine taught me she calls it the perfect game just deem everything perfect so however your day shows up it's perfect yeah right it's perfect but then i heard i heard another speaker say don't strive for perfection, strive for excellence. So I've been trying to, to shift that in my mind. I'm striving for excellence because things will never be perfect, but I can strive for that excellence. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, just, I mean, it's, we all, it's kind of just what I said too. It's like, you know, chase perfection, knowing you're not going to get there, come close, right. you're going to be okay. So yeah, I mean, and in, in your definition of excellence, or it's like the definition of success to people, oh, what's the definition of success? Well, it's different for everybody, you know? So, you know, whatever your, de- you know, de- I always tell people the definition of success is whatever it is you want it to be. Not what I want it to be. It's what you want it to be. You have to decide what you want is considered successful. And if that's monetary stuff, if that's material things, all right, cool. Like that's your definition of it, you know? Again, it's, it's just how you define things. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about what else is going on. I know you, do you have any new books coming out? Do you want to mention some of the books? Um, you know, that you've what, what else is going on? Do you really want to know? That? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, so, I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, we met on Clubhouse, right? Is this how this whole thing happened? Is this how this happened? No, oh. no. I mean, I posted on that author, that oh. site on Facebook for marketing okay, for yeah, authors. Yeah, and, okay, I just, cool. and I just posted, hey, I'm looking for people to be on my podcast. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've written a bunch of books, right? Three Wall Street Journal, USA Today bestsellers. And I wrote a children's book and I wrote a couple others that I just kind of self-published that I that I just, I didn't put up anywhere. Just And Clubhouse, we're talking about, I've been talking about it a lot. It's just, just it's a great um, networking app and it's an audio only. It's just, it's amazing if you're not on. Is, are there any YouTube videos to explain that? Because I'm on there and I don't know what to do. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure there are. But, um, <laughs> 
So uh, what I realized on Clubhouse was is that there are a lot of authors, there are a lot of people who are like, considering writing a book. Everyone talks about wanting to write a book. You said that you wrote a book. But the, the, the challenge for most authors, what they don't understand is, is that you know, writing the book is half the process. The other half is the marketing part. And most authors, like through and through authors, they don't want to market, they don't want to sell, and it, it's, they have a real aversion to it. And the problem with that is, is their book isn't just going to sell itself. So I wrote a book called Bestseller Secrets, and it's exactly what I've done over the years, not only for myself, but others. And, and I give it away for free. It's 27,000 words. It's not like this uh, downloadable thing. It's a few pages. It's just a few pages. It's literally everything I've done. It's not going to win me any literary awards, um, but it's more of a tactical guide for authors on what to do. And I'm really excited about it because when you talk about happiness and you talk about your purpose and passion, to be able to help other authors, I've spent literally millions of dollars of my own money and seven years trying to figure this whole thing out. And and I put it all together uh, in this book, and I'm excited about it because you know it does help people. So if people wanted it, you can go to bestsellersecretsbook.com, and again, it's bestsellersecretsbook.com because there's another book out there called Bestseller, and I give it away for free. And if you're an author and 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 you you know you want to learn what I've done to not only do it for myself but for other authors, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon, even chasing the New York Times. Uh, I show people how to do it. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't talk a lot about pain, but, you know, it's a painful experience when you do this thing and you put together this project and you release it and nobody cares because that's really just, but that's just the reality of it. Like, Nobody cares about your book. Nobody cares about my book. It's just, it just is what it is. How do people care about it? Well, when they, when it gets put in front of them and they learn about it and, 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 and when it's successful. So if your book is a, a bona fide, legitimate, like bestseller, when I say bestseller, I'm talking number one, right? Success, but get success. And people are like, Oh, cool. Like, all right, it's number one. I'm, I'm going to, I'll be interested in that. Number one doesn't necessarily mean it's a great book either, but it's more likely to get put in front of somebody and it's more likely to get picked up and, and, and distributed more if it's in that stuff. So that's what I got going on right now i'm excited about it and um yeah so to answer your question that's it i think that's that's what i got that's awesome well michael it was a pleasure speaking with you i love all the stories that you shared and and i love your passion cool it's really infectious well i'm glad uh, i'm glad we connected and uh yeah make sure we connect on clubhouse by the way i will definitely i need i need to i've had a lot going on lately and as I said, I do have a full-time job, so sometimes it's hard. But I, I need to like look into the clubhouse thing because I'm on there and I'm not quite sure what 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 it is. <laughs> just, uh, I guess it will end with like if you're not in, like I don't know when this is necessarily going to air or whatever. But if you're not in clubhouse, like cryptocurrency I was talking about, like meditation, like CBD, um, there are certain things that I've seen in my life that are truly life-changing, and Clubhouse is, is one of them. The ability to connect with people and to develop relationships quickly on Clubhouse is remarkable. There are people that you've never even heard of. Uh, I'm, I'm now, I've developed friendships with people that I've, again, I've never even heard of, don't know who they are. Now I know who they are. Now they know who I am. And we're not only doing business together, but we've become friends. And, and so one of the greatest ways, you know, people say it's, your network is, in fact, your net worth. That's a true thing. And so, you know, right now, you know, if you're trying to connect with people that are playing on a different level than you, it's really hard to do that. What do you do? You go to a trade show, you go to a conference or whatever. Maybe you get on Facebook, Instagram, you're sending messages. It, there's just a lot of noise out there. Clubhouse is a is 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 a, an audio only, 24 hours a day live app where you can connect with people, talk to people, learn from people. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm screaming about it because it's already changed my life. And I think it can change a lot of people's lives. I don't know if it's always going to be like that. But right now, as I'm talking to you, it's remarkable. It's addictive. 
But it's also like whatever it is, you want to learn about meditation, you want to learn about business, you want to learn about real estate, you want to talk about dogs, whatever it is, whatever you're interested in, it's there and experts are there as well. And and some of the most famous, look, Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg just popped on it. Like Mark, uh, excuse me, um, Elon Musk just, you know, just jumped in. Like all, this, this, the biggest people in the world are getting involved in it because they see the potential in it. So uh, that's my little um, my little promotion for uh, Clubhouse. And again, I have nothing to do with it other than the fact that I'm just on it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to learning more about some of the things that you have going on. Um, I'm definitely going to check out your bestseller, uh, secretsbook.com. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, take care, Michael. All right. Take care. Thank you. Right, bye-bye. Bye. So I really love Michael's no-nonsense approach to everything. It was great. It was. He's very entertaining just straight shooter, tells it like it is. That was awesome. So once again, you can learn more about Michael Alden on his website, which is michaelalden.net. Please visit my website at sandyscarlotta.com. My book, Happiness Solve, Climbing 100 Steps, is available on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. And please follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Coach Sandy Scarlotta. Thank you for listening today. And I hope that you and your family stay healthy and safe and that your life is filled with joy, peace, and happiness.